This is the Agenda Podcast on the Blood Red Channel, taking a bite-sized look at some of the big Liverpool FC talking points. UEFA's financial fair play, has it had its day? I'm Guy Clark. Welcome to the Agenda here on the Blood Red Channel as we get set to talk through football's finances and what UEFA are planning and how it could impact Liverpool. Here to bring the expertise and to explain what European footballing governing body is planning to introduce and why it could see FFP as we know it rewritten. We have the Echoes business of football writer Dave Powell. And uh, well, Dave, before we go any further in terms of talks that UEFA are planning and with the Premier League and the like, I think a lot of people are sort of scratching their heads wondering where we even are with FFP because there's talk for this season, it's it's null and void, it's not a thing, but it still is, isn't it? Clubs do still have to be accounting for it. There is, yeah, but there's been a, an element of relaxation in the rules so to account for, for the huge COVID losses. Um Placed on on football clubs because um, previously it was uh, you know up to, to kind of thirty million euros in terms of if you could have those losses covered by an owner, um, but now the argument would be from clubs is that the, the the losses from COVID couldn't have been accounted for previously, so there needs to be some element of of kind of wriggle room in that respect, um, which they've been given. Um, I imagine that'll probably kick over into next season as well or, or, or until we get kind of revised plan for, for FFP rules. But they've been um, called into question, you know, for, for a long time. And we've had them since they've been in, they were initially floated in 2009 and then 2011, they actually, you know, kind of got introduced. So there's, they've been in situ now for about 10 years and, and they're not to everyone's liking. I mean, they, they have been uh, served a purpose in terms of uh, kind of helping European football in the main um, to kind of live a bit more within its means. But the reality is, as we've seen previously, you know, there's, there's always kind of ways and means, there's means to kind of get around the situation. We've Even in the, the kind of era of FFP, we've still had Paris Saint-Germain pay 222 million euros for Neymar and uh, talking about offering kind of half a million euros a week plus for wages. So ultimately... Um, there is obviously there's there's some work to be done around it before it is is a, a model which kind of works for everyone, which I don't think it ever will be. No, I was going to say it, you you sort of got things split in two camps, haven't you? You've got sort of the the likes of the Red Bull clubs who have cleverly worked it and player traded successfully and and done well with that, but then you've other clubs, AC Milan for one, sort of spring to mind in terms of even being given sort of uh, restrictions in terms of competition, but. You've written a story for the Echo, four major changes that could well be on their way to FFP. Is this going to be an end of financial fair play? Or after 10 years, is it just sort of a, a revision of what the stipulations and actually what constitutes financial fair play? Well, I think it's important to point out at the start, I think UEFA have kind of said that they haven't explicitly said, certainly as of today, that they are be, will be making changes. But I think they their language and what they said kind of today was... Uh, rule changes may happen, which is what I think we'll, we'll see happen. I don't think there'll be an abolishment of, of financial fair play and it become like the Wild West because I don't think that works for, you know, it, it doesn't work for the, for everyone and it, it'll, you know, kind of uh, rub a lot of people up the wrong way. So I think what we will see is more subtle changes to um, the rules maybe. I mean, looking at some of the points which they're, they're thinking of, of changing or have been rumoured to be thinking of changing, um, then they're not huge sweeping changes but they are changes which may appease kind of both camps so 
there's an element of a bit more freedom of spending for football clubs. Um, so those who are, because I think the, the feeling was that the ladder had almost been pulled up and the trapdoor closed behind the big six because of financial fair play, because when it was introduced, that gap was already there and all it's done is serve to widen that gap and, and kind of take out the uh, the element of competitiveness for the teams below. I mean, Everton fall among that. You know, you, you see what Farhad Mashiri has um, looked to spend since he's been at Everton and that's simply just to, it's almost to stand still um, because of the increased revenue streams from the clubs above them. Um, so there's an element of them needing to address that and maybe giving football clubs a bit, a little bit more freedom to spend and not be so regimented in terms of having to only spend what comes in through the door. Um, but also to the benefit of the, the bigger clubs um, is that obviously when we had the uh, Manchester City's uh, ban a couple of a couple of years ago, which was overturned, um, a lot of that centred around that was a, kind of a, a competitive sanction, um, which doesn't go down well because ultimately that serves to be both a competitive sanction and an economic sanction because the loss of revenues from playing in Europe is vast. Um, so I think there may be a change of tact in terms of that just being an economic sanction handed down from UEFA in terms of a, a hefty fine um, because the problem they had with competitive sanctions, if you, which is, I mean, no one's, no one went through with it, but if that would have gone through, I mean, I know Manchester City have hugely wealthy owners, um, but if you were talking it in terms of a, a Liverpool or a, or a Tottenham, I mean, it could have been hugely detrimental a couple of years out of, out of European competition for the pure reason that all the commercial deals that they have are, are all linked to, to kind of European competition, broadcast revenues, prize money. So it just, you know, the punishment probably, you know, outweighed the the, the crime in some respect. But um, but something interesting which would probably um, pique the interest of FSG um, at Liverpool would be the potential for a salary cap. Uh, now, obviously, in the States, they they run the Boston Red Sox and they operate within a salary cap, um, as do all other major major American sports leagues. Um, that's that's how they kind of maintain an element of parity in competition throughout the uh, the franchises. Um, but also in American sport, there is no promotional relegation. So for you know there is that element of guaranteed kind of income and and, and kind of security over costs. Um, but what that does for for someone like FSG, notoriously they, they create a profitable business and they want it to remain even more profitable, um, is that a salary cap would uh, mean that while they they might not be it change their transfer spending anyway, what they might do is it, it at least mean that they don't fall so far behind <clears throat> Manchester City and, and, and Chelsea's in terms of being able to pay the wages for players. So it depends what the ceiling is, I suppose, because the idea was to ad adopt kind of a luxury tax, which they operate in North American sport, um, whereby if you go over it um, once, you're penalised twice, the fine gets heavier, third time heavier again. Uh, and, and the sanctions get more and more severe the, the more you kind of break through that luxury tax barrier. So it's not a, a hard cap as such, but it it is kind of, it, it does come with a caveat of if you, if you kind of breach that, then you're going to be incurring heavy fines. So the, not so much the sweeping changes that I think will just hugely change the dynamic, but kind of more changes which um, UEFA might be thinking that benefit both clubs trying to be competitive with the top six and also the clubs who are aiming to, to try and stay there. The Agenda on the Blood Red Channel. 
So transfer fees, for example, within that would would maybe be able to remain inflated and high, but as you say, it would be more down to the accounting on the uh, the salary cap of ensuring you're sort of underneath underneath that. Is that right? Yeah, it could well be, and there may be um, the, the ability to spend um, through you know kind of kind of more through transfer fees may well be relaxed in terms of being able to allow sponsors to to help out in that respect in a, in a way to get around it. I mean, because if the sponsors are willing to, to front that and guarantee that, then the whole point of FFP in the first place was to, A, well, first and foremost, to ensure that clubs didn't um, spend so recklessly or, or risk kind of not being in existence. And, and that was ultimately to what it was. Um, and then after that, it's to kind of ensure that an element of competition remains throughout Europe's big leagues. Um, but that, that could be a way that they they see that clubs might be able to exploit that slightly, that sponsors may be able to pay a, a percentage towards uh, a transfer through or, or, or through other commercial activities. So that might be a, a relaxation of the rules in, in some respect. Um, but quite what the kind of the, the ins and outs of it all will be, I mean, will kind of make itself known in the coming weeks, I expect. So a Nike super club with LeBron James funding Kylian Mbappe. That's what you're telling us, is it? <laughs> well, that, that's clearly what Liverpool fans would like and it's clearly what John Henry would like as well. Yeah, uh, definitely. There's no, you know, it, it's not beyond the realms of possibility to see a more kind of um, <clears throat> uh, kind of invasive approach from sponsors in terms of uh, signing players. I mean, the, earlier on this year, there was the potential floated for... Um, involving Cristiano Ronaldo and some noises that uh, kind of Chevrolet would have played some kind of part in a in a deal to to bring Ronaldo there. Ultimately, obviously, it turns out to be complete Jack Nori because Chevrolet aren't even United's principal partners moving forward. But that type of thing has been floated before, and, and I imagine that um, if the door does open for that type of thing for for FFP um, or a re- reformed FFP, I imagine that will happen again. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to to see then maybe how that one may play out. You already referenced it a bit before, but how much of this sort of rule change and tweaking that might well happen with financial fair play has been brought on by the likes of PSG and certainly Manchester City with that CAS appeal that they had lodged through the course of the summer? Yeah, I think that uh, I think the uh, the CAS judgment was a slap in the face for UEFA, if anything, um, because it was ultimately uh, UEFA tried to enforce their their rules and um, it, it got, you know, slapped down. And that I think UEFA took that um, quite badly. And I think it's probably emboldened them to try and find a, a workable solution where they feel like they have ultimate control over what happens as opposed to handing out sanctions and then clubs managing to get them overturned through the kind of court of arbitration. Um, but there, there will be a concern that, um, I mean, Michel Platini all those years ago, didn't he, alluded to kind of a big problem being financial doping in effect. Um, and while, yes, Manchester City spent a lot of money, I think there's also an element. The, the, the most successful thing that they've done is double up excellent players in positions, you know, as opposed to just signing the world's best players. It's um, so, but I think in PSG's case, it's almost slightly different than Manchester City's. I mean, there seems to be a strategy at City, you know, and they they've been very sensible and they've been able to, you know, kind of. But they have a core of players that they carry with them. But the the PSG strategy, especially in a league where the value, where the market value isn't anywhere near as high as the Premier League, 
Um, it, you know, League One still, or League One is still a, one of Europe's top leagues, but it falls so far behind the Bundesliga and La Liga. Um, but still, PSG are able to manage to nail down the likes of Mbappe um, if he remains there, and Neymar um, to that. And but the, their their kind of cost compared to the rest of the PSG squad is, is out, you know, outstrips it massively. So they'll be thinking it. What kind of precedent does this set? Um, they've probably been helped almost um, by the fact that Real Madrid and Barcelona have almost removed themselves from that conversation for the for the the short term at least, while they try and count the cost of COVID more than others. Um, but ultimately, when everyone kind of gets their ducks in a row, um, UEFA will be will have to have something in place which is workable and also enforceable, because ultimately the FFP, as they they found previously, it wasn't. Yeah, no, certainly. Before we, we go then, just to sort of round things off, I suppose this is reform as opposed to revolution for FFP. What sort of timescale maybe are we looking at in terms of will it affect Liverpool maybe in the summer? And just, just finally on that point and what we spoke about on, on transfer fees before, despite all of these changes may well happening, FSG still very much with their hands on the till at, at Liverpool. It's not a case of opening the safe and unlocking the war chest, is it? I, I don't think um, I don't envisage a, a period in time where that will happen without it being underpinned by player sales. I, ju- I just don't. Um, it's not a model which they uh, have kind of shown any, any kind of wavering towards, even with the Red Sox or anything like that. I think their their approach, they have a strategy in place, and they have the pieces in place that, in terms of backroom staff to try and deliver that. Um, I don't think it will make. Um, an immediate impact because because Liverpool's aren't linked to transfer spend. So I mean, the the ability to spend more when you don't spend hardly anything as it is 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 kind of a, a moot point or you know mute, mute point rather. So it's um, I think for Liverpool the biggest thing will be when it comes to maybe engaging with players who are in a position in the contract which is you know maybe a year or so to go where they don't have to pay big fees or and then they're able to you know kind of the, stay under the salary cap and be able to compete with the likes of. City and PSG, depending what the limit is, of course, you know. So it doesn't mean that just because you can't afford the transfer you know, or the transfer fee isn't is prohibitive, you can't pay the wages. So um, there's, there's a lot of questions to be answered around this, but yeah, ultimately, I think the salary cap will be something which FSG welcome because it gives them, in the main, I think American owners in particular like the idea of um, certainty over cost uh, as well as kind of a we see it with the, the Champions League reform in FSG, a big pushes for that. Um, same as United, because they want to further maximise their ability to generate revenue. But at the same time, they like to have some kind of element of security over what goes out of the business as well. So if they know that they're never going to have to spend more than X to compete with uh, you know, City or Liverpool the following season, it means they can budget better. Um, and also that they know that they're, you know, if they stay below the salary cap, they're not going to incur any kind of major sanctions. So I think it gives them a bit more clarity. Um, but I don't think it'll be a, a game changer for Liverpool. I do think that if the door is kicked open to allowing a bit more outside influence um, in terms of the transfer market, I think the, the team, it's likely to benefit most in the Premier League would be Everton. 
Yeah, interesting then to, to see what does happen. We'll stick across all of what Dave's writing on the Liverpool Echo website. Uh, business of football writers, still plenty to happen then with UEFA and their financial fair play reforms. That's it from us here on this edition of The Agenda. Do check out Dave's new The Bottom Line podcast as well. The first episode with Paul Wheelock talking all about the uh, Redbird capital investment into Liverpool. Very interesting listen indeed. But from myself, Guy Clark and Dave Powell, thank Thanks for joining us here on this edition of The Agenda. It's bye for now. You've been listening to The Agenda podcast on the Blood Red channel.